It's News Talks Happy Weekend Collective. First hour on a Sunday is our politics hour. And there's an article that the Herald have published today by Derek Ching. And it's got a lot of facts and figures in it. And you can drown in them in a little bit. Uh, we've decided to make sense of it for you. And this is to do with the rollout of the vaccine. And out of 13,000 border workers who would be working at the border over a fortnightly period, 3,800 have not had a single jab. Now, granted, there are border workers and then there are border workers. So, so there are some who are very, very much on the front line and others who clearly it's, it's less crucial. But nevertheless, is it concerning and how concerned should we be that 29% have not had a single jab? This is of border workers. 29% of our border workers have not had a single jab. Uh, I think a lot of us would be surprised by that. Now, let's not get confused about MIQ workers. 95% of MIQ workers have had both jabs. So that's great. Not so good that 5% haven't. Uh, also, apparently, Ashley Bloomfield saying that there's about 4% of MIQ workers um, who are non-compliant when it comes to getting tested regularly. Uh, but to explain our, our level of concern and what may be happening next to do with all this is a professor of medicine at the University of Auckland, Des Gorman, is on the program now. Des, good afternoon. I'm oh, good, day, Tim. How are you? Very good. Uh, Des, so how concerned should we be, or indeed how concerned are you with these numbers? Look, I think we should be concerned, and I'm certainly worried. I echo the Attorney General's uh, anxiety that he expressed a week or so ago. Vaccination is very important to us. Herd immunity is essential in terms of us rehabilitating our society and reintegrating. If you look at countries like the UK, the US, Israel, who have had lots of disease but are doing very well in terms of vaccination, they are mobilising their, their economies, whereas I think Australia and New Zealand are actually stuck. We're like shags on a rock, and we'll be shags on a rock until we get herd immunity. So I think flaws, problems, limitations with our vaccination programme should cause us great concern. And the fact that we still haven't vaccinated all the border workers uh, is surprising on the one hand, but it fits with the sort of pattern of sort of <clears throat> bungling management that we've had over the last year, guys. And I, I, mm. My strong advice is that it's time to say to the Minister of Health, look, you go back to your day job looking after the health system. Let's create a dedicated governance and management group to actually focus entirely on the problem of managing this pandemic. Uh, yes, because I've been wondering as I've watched the the reviews and the reports come out. Um, and look, we a lot of times it's easy to play politics and talk about what the ministers said. And, but I wonder if the ministers are sort of hostage to just the general quality of service that they're getting from the from the extra minute from the ministry and the public service officials. Oh, look, I think they're hostage to two things. Uh, you're absolutely right, by the way. They are hostage to the competency of the public service. And if you look at the sorts of skills we need, the logistics skills, the supply chain skills we need, we've got plenty of those skills in New Zealand. They just don't exist in the public service. They exist in freight companies. They exist in supermarkets. They exist, you know, the sorts of purchasing skills we need. They, they exist in, contract com- in contractors. They exist in the insurance industry. So the first thing is that I think the ministers are very vulnerable to the inability of the various parts of the public service to deliver on such a complex task. The other thing that's made them vulnerable is they've politicised the pandemic. In my view, health crises, health issues, work, you know, there's an inverse relationship between the degree of politicisation and success. So I'm not arguing that one tribe would do it better than another tribe. My no. argument is that, that this is not a place for politicians. Because, listen, you mentioned you're trying to balance uh, health and well-being risk on the one hand and economic and livelihood risk on the other. 
that's a really tough gig, and I've done that in lots of different countries around the world. But the minister politicians get involved, they've got electoral risk. They've got to win a popularity contest every three years. Being popular is at the forefront of their minds, and that absolutely confounds any attempt to run a complex operation like this. I guess it just highlights the dif- difficulty for any any politician to make a prediction about what we're going to do when um, when they're not really in charge in, in, in many respects. Well, they're in charge of their own rhetoric, and I think one of the problems are that They've really gone down this rabbit hole of best in show and the envy of the world. Now, that's reaped very good uh, political capital for them, along with, I think, the fear-based population management they've engaged in. There's been great political capital there, but now they're hostage to their own rhetoric, which is, you know, we're the best in show and the envy of the world. So when the facts don't fit that particular narrative, the facts become inconvenient. And that's why I think we've seen not massaging of facts, and it's not actually misleading us. It's just this desperate attempt to spin the facts so that they're more, compli- they're more consistent with, with the narrative. Uh, in Australia, with the outbreak in Victoria, I see that the federal government has just agreed that they will pay $200 million Australian dollars for the construction of a quarantine facility. Now, I, I poo-pooed personally the idea of doing this in New Zealand because the entire facility would have to look after over 6,000 people and it, the the maths in my head was that that would be about a billion dollars. And if it's the maths in my head, it could well be wrong. But anyway, um, they're going to do it in Victoria. Do you think it's a good idea? Yeah, I do. It's been a good idea for a long time. And I think you stream uh, people coming into the country so that you only use the standalone quarantine village for those that represent the greatest risk to us. It's not that expensive when you view it two ways. One, you don't assemble it in the sense of, sorry, you don't build it in the conventional sense, you assemble it. So you use assembly units, so that's, that drives the cost way down. But I think, Tim, you've got to consider the counterfactual here. The counterfactual is this. This pandemic has at least another five years to run. There will be more pandemics. We can't afford any more lockdowns, Tim. I mean, uh, our, our economies already are uh, sufficiently over-leveraged in terms of debt. That I mean, how, how would we manage the next Kaikoura earthquake or Christchurch earthquake, or for that matter, the next GFC? So... We can't afford lockdowns. And if you consider that counterfactual, the cost of a quarantine village is very rational. All right, Des Gorman from Auckland University. uh, And we really appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday.